Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Bangia Talks, authentic thought leadership conversations with some of the world's leading professionals in family wealth matters. Joining us today is Mr. Alex Gabrini of Fidelity Investments. Alex leads areas of Fidelity's family office and private counsel offering. Fidelity, as most of you know, is one of the largest investment management firms in the United States with over 40 million individual investors, 11.8 trillion in assets under management, and approximately 4.5 trillion in total discretionary assets. You may know that Fidelity is a family firm, which is what we talk about here at Pangea, and Abigail Johnson is the third generation of the family to run the Boston-based company. She took over from her father, Edward Johnson III, in 2014. Abigail's grandfather, Edward C. Johnson, founded Fidelity in 1946. A March 2022 report from Bloomberg found that the Johnson family, which owns nearly half of the company, is worth about $48 billion, and the other 51% of the company is owned by employees. Truly a remarkable multi-generational family business success story. Incidentally, this evening I've been invited to an event that honors another remarkable family, Canada's Desmarais family, a name I'm sure you're familiar with, Alex. Absolutely. Alex, in your career, um, what we've, we've done in terms of preparing for this conversation, we wanted to make sure that we were very well equipped and um, uh, prepared because you've decided to share some of your precious time with us. Your career in the wealth management sector, you've thrived here for the past 20 years and more. We were curious in doing uh, our, our research and preparation for this call. We were curious, how does a talented fellow like yourself with a master's of arts history degree from U of T end up in investments? <laughs> That's a great question, Declan. And sometimes I ask myself that question: How did I? How did I end up here? My my goal in doing my master's in history was actually to become a history professor. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, teaching and um, educating folks and um, doing presentations and things like that. And research I enjoyed as well. Always had a very curious mind, and that was my initial career path. And you know, I think I got three quarters of the way through my master's thesis and just had a change of heart was you know it was a long time to be in school um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to continue and do a PhD um, and just wanted to kind of explore what other options were available to me out there so I just hit the job market and um, I landed at Invesco uh, back in 2002 so 20 actually my 20th anniversary is coming up in, in July in the, in, in the industry and I was always very uh, curious about finances. I had not, not received any financial education in, in our school system, as, as you know, and wanted to educate myself a little further on it. And this job opportunity uh, came up um, just uh, in you know, the bilingual client, client relations department at Invesco. And uh, I jumped at the opportunity uh, to take the role. And I really haven't looked back ever since. I, I held sort of progressive roles at Invesco up until 2006, um, more on the management side. Um, I was managing the problem resolution team in the back office when I decided to leave Invesco uh, to join Fidelity in 2006 um, on the sales side um, as an inside wholesaler. And um, 
you know, for the last 14 years or so, I was working with uh, financial advisors in uh, downtown Toronto, um, you know, and assisting them on business building ideas, investment ideas, and so on. Um, Fidelity's really been, you know, my, my, my home away from home um, for the last decade and, and a half uh, or more. And, um, you know, they've really given me sort of all the tools to, to thrive in this, in this environment. And uh, just really thrilled to be in this new role now, um, focused, uh, you know, focused on the family office and uh, ultra high net worth segment of the industry, which is a really interesting space right now, I think, in the Canadian, uh, Canadian investment industry. Indeed, interesting is one word, uh, words obvious to describe this space, uh, dynamic. Uh, insightful, uh, transformational. Uh, it's it, just in my my experience, 25 years in this space, in the Canadian uh, high net worth wealth management space and ultra high net worth space. Uh, it's it's one of the most energizing environments for me to be in because there's so much great um, uh, insight that one receives from being at the right tables. Uh, sometimes seeing things significantly ahead of the time before it makes its way through the other parts of the market. So. That's one of the reasons I love being in this space. And I was curious as I'm listening to you, you talked about research uh, for your masters and I wanna uh, connect a thought to that research um, uh, word that you made. And in addition to that, you talked about your family offices uh, role where you're building relationships with family offices. I'm curious, Alex, what are the top three reasons that Fidelity really wants to partner with family offices in your opinion? Yeah, it's a great question, and you know, to your your, your fantastic introduction on the firm, um, you know, we've we've I think one of the things that working at Fidelity um, ha, has really been um, enjoyable to watch is how the firm embraces innovation and how the firm has evolved. Um, certainly, over the last 16 years since uh, I joined the firm, uh, it looks and feels very different from. Um, what it was, uh, you know, back in 2006. And I think that sort of uh, evolution um, is something that the founders uh, pay really close attention to. Um, you know, you, ment you mentioned Edward Johnson III, Ned Johnson, um, he, you know, a Abigail's father, he actually passed away a couple of weeks ago at the age of 91. Um, you know, he took over the company in 1972. It was really a small mutual fund company at the time. And he's credited with really helping to change the way the middle class thought about its money in the U.S., um, transforming Americans from savers to investors, basically. He was really innovative. Uh, I would say he's largely responsible for the democratization of investing, uh, bringing the middle class into the capital markets. Wow. Uh, and I think, you know, turning really turning Fidelity into one of the world's largest asset managers, as you mentioned. And Abby has been, who's been running the company, um, you know, for the last several years, has been continuing that innovation. Um, for example, right now she's democratizing access to cryptocurrencies for investors, making them available in 401ks in the U.S. Um, you know, our history in Canada is is similar. We came to Canada in 1987. Uh, actually, we opened our doors on Black Monday, the day of the infamous market mm -hmm. crash in October of '87. And we've grown to one of the largest asset managers in Canada with around 210 billion in assets here. I would say through innovation, um, you know, through uh, a, a proven performance, through an enviable suite of, of uh, investment vehicles, 
um, you know, and through partnership with financial advisors. No, we, we have not had any of our own distribution in Canada. Our distribution has entirely been through MFDA and IROC licensed financial advisors. And that has really served us well. We've earned the trust of advisors over the last, uh, you know, since we came to Canada in the late 80s. However, to your point, when you look at the investment industry in Canada today, you'll notice that the two fastest moving or the two fastest growing segments in the industry are at sort of the two extremes. It's, uh, you know, on, on the one side, you have the do-it-yourself space, the robo-advisor channel, uh, and then on the other side, you have the ultra-high net worth space, family offices and private wealth. And I would argue that the ultra-high net worth space in Canada is largely underserved. Intergenerational wealth is relatively new in Canada, as you know, and the family office industry is still in its infancy here compared to other parts of the world. But I think we're beginning to see, you know, a, a catch up happening in Canada. So this is really Fidelity continuing to evolve. Being a private company allows us to invest in new areas with a focus on the long term. We don't have to worry about hitting quarterly earnings expectations. Um, you know, I would say the second reason that we want to partner with family offices in Canada is that we think we have the experience to do it well. I think the ultra high net worth space has been served by niche players and Fidelity in the US has been working with hundreds of family offices, both single family offices and multifamily offices for over a decade and a half. We have a dedicated family office services group that offers fully integrated services for the fa uh, family office community in the US. Um, we're also able to leverage uh, you know, a lot of that experience and bring bring value to the space in Canada, including through thought leadership on a wide range of issues for family office executives and family members. Uh, we can share insights into family office investment behaviors and best practices. You know, CIOs often uh, come up to us and inquire about the activity of their peers. So one of the things we do in the US is we survey hundreds of family offices every year on several key investment and operational areas, things like asset allocation, private equity, co-investments, cryptocurrencies, and we publish the key findings in a detailed study that we're able to share, uh, including to family offices here in Canada. Uh, and then I would say the third reason, uh, you know, we believe we have an enviable range of investment offerings for family offices as well, and we're dedicated to continuing to develop that range of investment vehicles. We probably have the most complete lineup of solutions in the Canadian industry. Uh, including tax-efficient investment vehicles, a wide range of ETFs, uh, alternatives, uh, cryptocurrency, um, you, know, you know, on the alternative side, market neutral, long short, so, you know, which are available in liquid alternative packages. So bringing the best features of hedge funds to the market without the concerns around liquidity and for a fraction of the cost as well. So we're really working on continuing to develop that uh, lineup of uh, investment solutions that we think, uh, you know, we've, we've for many of these we've earned the trust of advisors for decades here in Canada, and some of them now are we're looking at, at, at launching that are more attractive to the ultra high net worth segment and more tailored or customized for the ultra high net worth segment. You know, Alex, I want to thank you for that uh, detailed, thoughtful response. It sounds to me, from me listening, only not only to the 
the content of your response, but the way in which you delivered it, I I get a sense that you're actually really excited about the work that you're doing there at Fidelity. It sounds like you uh, are really proud of the work that your team is putting together and coming to market. And you know we've uh, we've had some conversations about where we can contribute and collaborate uh, as uh, as Benjia uh, Private Family Offices and Fidelity. And our relationship will continue to deepen. And part of the reason we found value in our initial conversations is because. you are being innovative and because you actually have some insight in the space in your previous uh, contribution you mentioned fidelity's uh, family office investment study and I, and i've you know i i received uh, that study the 2021 family office investment study i want to share a bit of um, what that report uh, declared uh, what it found um and we can talk about it in the context of this conversation because you alluded to some of it your Fidelity 2021 family office investment study found that one in five family offices state that they're interested in adding cryptocurrency but while cryptocurrency investments remains low at this time interest in understanding digital assets better is at an all-time high the study also found that 22% of family offices see inflation as one of the bigger investment risks in the next 3 to 5 years and you and I are we're seeing it witnessing it right now and we understand what's happening with interest rates uh, as they aggressively get hiked higher to get inflation under control and this is actually in contrast to 2 years ago when the biggest risk perceived was geopolitical uh, another thing they study found was that one in five family offices expects to increase new investments and I'll say this uh, in the context of your alternative investment statement One in five family offices expects to increase new investments in illiquid assets. Family offices expect to increase allocation to private equity while reducing exposure to certain public equities and reducing cash exposure. I wanted to ask and actually learn from you Alex um based on 2022 year to date insights from your desk related to the aforementioned findings in the 2021 Fidelity Family Office study. I wonder if you can comment on any one or two of those uh, things we talked about from new things or developments you've seen uh this year so far. Yeah, that's a a good question and you know I I would say that what we are witnessing, you know, right now with the increased volatility in the markets and the, you know, rising rate environment that uh, you know, we're at the at the forefront of or at the beginning of uh to combat these high inflation levels that we're experiencing that's really what's on investors minds right now and you know so cryptocurrencies although they are still an area of interest i think those have kind of um you know in, interesting cryptocurrencies has kind of gone to the sidelines while we deal with the issue that the issues that face us um you know immediately here in, in the market so what you see and 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 certainly with the correction you're seeing right now uh in the cryptocurrency space there isn't as much of an appetite to make new allocations to cryptocurrencies today even though perhaps the correction that we're seeing in bitcoin and ethereum and other cryptocurrencies is actually going to present us with a great entry point to get into some of these digital assets i think what you're seeing right now in particular in the ultra high net worth segment is just a gradual shifting of the portfolios um you know to combat inflation so whether that's increasing commodity and real estate exposure which typically provides some inflation protection 
shortening the duration of the fixed income uh, uh, you know, allocation in the portfolio to protect against this rising rate environment or using alternatives such as private credit, for instance, to insulate the portfolio from, uh, you know, from some of these shocks. I mean, we, I think we've seen one of the worst starts to the year for bonds, um, for bond performance um, you know, that we've seen. And, uh, and so I think that's driving um, yeah, investors to, especially in the ultra high net worth space where they have the means to invest in some of these less liquid uh, options, uh, it's leading them to, to, to move more into things like private credit, um, you know, things like market neutral strategies, for instance, that may provide some capital preservation that typically you would see from bonds, um, but you know, we're providing a little bit more protection from a rising rate environment where bonds are negatively impacted in that environment. I really appreciate uh, the sophistication in which you chose to respond to that question. Some of the strategies that are on the Fidelity platform, uh, you talked about private credit and other alternative strategies, really speaks to the depth of thinking that's going on at your leadership level and even in your product development level. So thank you for sharing that. It gives us a bit of insight into how you're aligned to support family offices who are further up on the, the wealth sophistication structures um, as we, we look to protect and preserve our wealth uh, for the long term. Alex, you, you raised some points uh, as we were doing some research in preparation for this conversation. You raised some important questions uh, for family offices on one of your recent LinkedIn posts. And this is going back um, a couple months, uh, but we were able to find some of your thoughts and we thought it would be interesting to get a, a perspective from you on some of these thoughts. You asked earlier and you talked about in this conversation earlier about innovation and how important innovation is to fidelity. One of the questions you post, posted in that uh, LinkedIn conversation was this, and I'd love to, to get your insight and learn from you on this. You asked, are family offices embracing innovation and investing in digital transformation and AI? And that was a powerful question to ask, and I'm curious to know what Fidelity is doing on the digital transformation and AI technology investments, even within the firm itself, that you are able to disclose, understandably. You'd need to keep some things private, but whatever you can share with us, we'd love to learn from you. Sure, I mean, I think that's a that's a, a good question, and uh, you know, I, I think to varying degrees, you're seeing family offices start to embrace uh, technology like artificial intelligence and automation. Um, and, and certainly um, Fidelity, I, I, I would argue, is not just an investment firm, we're also a technology firm. You know, we have something like 100 technological patents. Uh, we have the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology in wow. the US. Um, Fidelity Digital Labs uh, as well uh, in the U.S. where they incubate uh, a lot of different uh, technological uh, endeavors, whether that's, you know, um, whether that's exploring meeting in the metaverse, uh, for instance, which, you know, might be uh, foreign uh, to someone of my generation, um, you know, putting on a, a headset to meet with someone's avatar in the metaverse is uh, not something that I think would come naturally to me, but uh, possibly to my children who spend time in these virtual communities like Roblox and so on, mm -hmm. you know, it might be the way that the next generation wants to interact with folks. And uh, so we do, we definitely do a lot of 
uh, research on these technologies. Fidelity actually has built, uh, uh, you know, has a uh, footprint in the metaverse, uh, a digital stack where it's essentially um, an educational facility for folks that are explore, exploring these de decentralized uh, uh, virtual communities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we're we're looking at different ways to interact with the younger generation, um, you know, through through technology. Uh, in terms of investment management, you know, we're we've created uh, you know an ETF lineup that utilizes uh, methodologies that at this point were created by uh, by humans, um, but we're certainly open to uh, taking artificial intelligence information and feedback. Um, you know, for, for the future generations of these, of these solutions. So I think you're going to see technology play a bigger role in asset management as well, um, you know, d down the road. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, but uh, these are all really crucial, crucial topics. And I think if you're not contemplating how technology is going to impact the industry, then you're likely going to get left behind by it. Yeah, you're you're on track with uh, the things that you're articulating so concisely. A dear friend of mine, uh, uh, Isan Nerdamadi, is the CEO of a fractional uh, CTO firm based in Toronto. They've got clients uh, across North America, and his philosophy, which I've actually adopted because I've seen it now close up, his philosophy is that every company is a technology company. And when I started to think about it through the, the lens of what he was showing me, I started to realize that, my gosh, if you're not already there, I mean, you've heard this term inflection point, if you're not there, um, it may be a, a difficult path to recovery if you, uh, if you miss this wave. Because um, uh, folks who are already at the leading edge will will win massive market share uh, leading with technology in their firms and I thank you for sharing it because it's exciting stuff I, I really love uh, having these conversations about technology and learning how they're going to continue to transform the way we do business you've heard terms like retech real estate technology martech marketing technology and we have firms that uh, are clients of ours uh, the principals who are clients of ours who are already developing these technologies so we're seeing it on the ground and we're seeing that the the significant changes and impacts it's making uh, real time. So it's something that we're going to keep talking about, uh, you and I, when we connect again. Maybe for a future call, we'll talk about the developments that have happened at Fidelity with their technology digital transformation and AI platforms. I wanted to shift uh, the conversation a bit um, just to bring it uh, to a level of um, relatability for folks thinking to themselves, um, you know, Fidelity, we've heard about them, and maybe folks are thinking, you know, what are the ways that Fidelity and the Fidelity offering to family offices, what ways are they unique when compared to other investment service providers? If you would love to, I'd love to welcome you to, to share maybe two ways that you believe the family office offering at Fidelity is unique when compared to the other investment service providers, Alex. Sure, I appreciate that question. Um, you know, I think what we're trying to achieve here in Canada is we're, we're trying to get family offices to think of us as an extension of their team. That's really, I think, one of our key differentiating factors. If you need tools to educate the next generation on financial literacy and inherited wealth, we've got, we've got resources for you. We need advice on handling family dynamics. 
We've got useful thought leadership really on hundreds of family related issues that we can share from working with family offices and family members for over a decade and a half in the U.S. Um, if, and, and, and to your uh, question on, on technology, I think this relates to technology as well. If you're a single family office executive or family member, one of the things that we can do that's really unique is connect you to the largest nonprofit, self-governed community of single family offices in the world, uh, which now has north of a thousand members. It's a community that was essentially incubated in Fidelity Labs. So the way that it the way that it came about is there were regional single family office groups that were formed throughout the United, different parts of the United States. And they didn't really have any way to communicate with each other at a, on a national level. And they didn't have the technology either, uh, you know, to, to have a, a forum where they could be, they could collaborate. And so they approached Fidelity and said, is this a problem that you would be willing to help us solve? And essentially, Fidelity uh, took that project and incubated it in Fidelity Labs under the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, and um, and and have created this, um, you know, really uh, amazing uh, community that was that that is where single-family offices can gather to gain unbiased perspective, uh, to exchange ideas, uh, and to find answers to their question, all in this collaborative. Uh, environment and uh, they're able to facilitate um, um, you know conferences and meetings and so on as well through that community um, so that's just you know one of the ways that we I think are going going to be able to differentiate ourselves from the other service providers uh, in Canada um, secondly you know if you're if you're partnering with niche players they may do one thing very well I think what we're able to do is provide things like dedicated access to investment research. So that can include macro research from our director of global macro, asset allocation perspectives from our global asset allocation team, uh, sector research from our director of quantitative market strategy. Uh, we run a dedicated manager research webcast series um, specifically for family offices, uh, you know, um, research teams for due diligence purposes. We have various subject matter experts that, um, that uh, we can rely on for tax and estates, uh, digital assets, uh, ETFs, alternatives, and portfolio construction. We can offer advanced portfolio analysis with uh, a tool that we built called Fidelity Portfolio Intelligence, which is which was built in partnership with MSCI and MSCI Bara One, which is really the same tool that our portfolio managers use to analyze risk and factor exposure in their funds. Um, so those are a few of the ways that we think we can differentiate ourselves, rather than ju just offering great solutions. Uh, you know, the additional level of support and service that we can offer that sort of white glove bespoke service level, um, I think, I think is going to be uh, pretty compelling. Evidently, there's uh, meaningful uh, steps being taken at your leadership table to really align yourself with the needs of family offices rather than just seeing them as a target for assets you're looking to add value. And I think that's a distinction that will pay off long-term uh, for Fidelity is my estimation. And I know some of the conversations that are happening around our family office table with our leadership and how we can continue to do more work with your team 
uh, it's really because of the additional value we see. Because as you can appreciate, um, yield and rates of return, most folks of some acumen can get access to it on a risk-adjusted basis and uh, do a reasonable job at uh, obtaining them on the, the market with sufficient frontier as we build portfolios for our clients. But what else? What else is there that can be offered of value? And I think what you've articulated goes a long way to speaking about how you're thinking about working with family offices. And I appreciate uh, that there's something of significance beyond the solutions, which are, are solid solutions as well. Yes, I, I, I would say, sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. there, no, go ahead, but I would please. say, you know, really what we're trying to do is, is to lead with the value. Indeed. Uh, you know, I, I think if we can lead, and this is the approach that our team in the U.S. has taken is, lead with the value um you know opportunities will present themselves down the road for you know to partner on 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 the solution side but what we're really trying to do is be at the forefront here or or take a leadership position in the industry in terms of the value that we can add and provide to family offices throughout canada certainly and that's coming through loud and clear in our conversation and i appreciate appreciate you taking the time to articulate the way you have i wanted to shift our thinking uh in Uh, further along the path of the conversation we've already started. And I wanted to quote some information from page six of the Fidelity 2021 uh, Family Office Investment Study. Uh, On page six, it says, the majority of family offices that um, Fidelity has interviewed for the study look to their peers, their peers for generating investment ideas. At Fidelity, the report says, we have seen family offices enter into strategic partnerships with other firms either other family offices or private equity firms, leveraging their expertise in direct investing. How does that um, finding uh, sit with you in the context of what you're building at the Fidelity offices here in Canada and how you can continue to form or build bridges with family offices here in Canada? I mean, we, we actually have an individual in the U.S. who's our VP of Insights and Connections, and mm-hmm. his role is to create some of this great content that we have, including our Evolving the Family Office ebook, which you quoted earlier. Um, he just wrote a, a new piece on relevancy in the family office. You know, he's worked very closely with family offices for a long time now. And the other part of his role, um, you know, on, on top of curating content, is to bring, uh, is to is to forge connections in the family office space. So to act, to act as as uh, you know, almost like a center of influence, almost like a referral source on a wide range of you know family related uh, topics, um, uh, you know. A, a, basically across the across the space so you know you're looking for someone to help with your philanthropic efforts um, he's been able to uh, build a, a network of uh, professionals in that space that he can refer folks to in fact he came from uh, from the philanthropy side um, prior to his current role you're looking for you know uh, assistance on the health and wellness side um, someone to refer uh, refer folks to for addiction and mental health, uh, you know, whether it's collecting and aviation, you know, whether it's human capital succession, whether it's, uh, you know, ri- ri- the rising generation, um, financial liter- literacy and education. Um, it's really about forging 
um, uh, you know, connections or making connections between folks in the industry that can be mutually beneficial. And I think that's one of the things that the Forge community, um, the, this community of uh, single family offices, um, seeks to do in, in the U.S. as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think bringing family offices together, uh, you know, is certainly one of our objectives in Canada as well. Uh, I hope to run uh, events where uh, we bring family offices together into the same room, where we're not in there to pitch a product, we're simply there to bring folks together and, uh, and, and hopefully get some, some useful uh, synergies out of the group. Um, you know, and I'm participating in, in events in the industry that are organized by others where that's the primary objective as well. Um, so I, I, think, I think that whole concept of connect, connecting folks in, in the ultra high net worth space is, is, is very important. It's actually how we do business. Um, we would sooner do, you've heard this term, club deals where we partner with other firms uh, whose, um, whose principles uh, we know and we've known for decades and it just creates a different level of, um, of experience because we have in-house expertise from people we know and trust and who have a vested interest in, in having families and communities that uh, we are supporting be successful. So I definitely want to continue this conversation, uh, perhaps on a different call where we look to explore that a bit further and deeper. Um, Alex, you've been so gracious with uh, your time and what you're sharing right now. I wanted to uh, explore a bit further uh, an, uh, an on-the-ground example, boots on the ground, so to speak, uh, and invite you to describe, if you will, a positive family office experience. Uh, you don't have to share names for confidentiality, of course, but looking for you to describe a positive family office experience when using Fidelity's services. Specifically, what we're looking for here from you is what did you notice that was important to the family office that you worked with and how did Fidelity exceed expectations? Sure. Um, appreciate that. Um, well, I, I think one example would be last month I, I met with a, a single family office executive who was recently hired by the family to assume responsibility um, of the office, including their investment strategy and approach. Um, this is an ultra-wealthy family, but outside of generating wealth from the primary business, they haven't really taken advantage of investment opportunities in the public or private markets. Uh, this uh, investment professional, this uh, family office executive, describes that their public equity investments were actually still in the form of paper stock certificates uh, sitting in the vault. Oh my goodness! And uh, and that and that the one thing they asked him to do when he started was to build a laddered bond portfolio for them. Um, so you know I was able to provide him with a, a wide range of articles and tools to help him educate the family. I was able to work with him to construct and analyze portfolio models that would make sense for the family. Uh, you, I'm sure you you hear the expression all the time. Uh, you know, when the family is rich, they're not looking, they're looking to stay rich. And so capital preservation was certainly at the forefront uh, of what this, uh, this um, individual is looking for. So, and, and also uh, tax efficiency was also supremely important. So, we, you know, we're primarily focused on building and analyzing portfolio models uh, around tax efficiency and capital pres preservation, two key components for this wealthy family. Mm -hmm. But they were also look they were also looking, um, you know, for 
investment opportunities in other uh, businesses that were sort of founder uh, that had sort of founder led the way the way their theirs was, and you, you, what you what you tend to see is with these um, founders, uh, they have sort of that founders mentality and they often get involved in venture capital, early stage venture capital and, and try to invest in um, other founder led businesses. Um, you know, so this, this got me thinking and, and certainly this is an area where Fidelity's done a lot of research um, in the US and I, I proposed an investment solution that I thought would really resonate with the family that perhaps would have less risk than just buying early stage venture capital. Um, two of you know, Fidelity's legendary portfolio managers, Will Danoff, who manages Contra Fund in the US, which is the largest mutual fund managed by a single portfolio manager, and Joel Tillinghast, you know, whose uh, you know, uh, investment style uh, resembles uh, Warren Buffett's, a, a fantastic, a legendary value manager. Um, you know, who's been running his fund for, for they've both, both been running their funds for north of 30 years now. Um, they noted that over their three plus decades running their funds, when they invested alongside founders in their businesses, they tended to generate outsized returns. So they wanted to investigate this further. So they commissioned Fidelity to research this. And in the process, what they discovered is that since 1990, returns to shareholders in public companies where the founder is still involved are three times higher than in other companies. So the founders are generally customer obsessed, innovative, and highly committed. You know, three um, at key attributes of the founder's mentality. And it turns out that the founder's mentality is a huge competitive advantage. And these superior returns were achieved without discerning between good founders and not so good founders. So with, you know, Fidelity figured that with the depth of our research and access to company management, we should be able to uncover the best founders across a wide range of industries and invest in their businesses as well. So if founder-led businesses outperform the market by an average of say 2% annualized, I think it's in that ballpark, and we can apply our research to that already alpha-rich pool, then we should be able to add significant outperformance over and above that. And so we do have a founders fund that uh, will invest in private founder-led businesses up to 10% of the portfolio, but the rest are invested in publicly traded businesses where the founder is still involved in the decision-making process. And this was a, a, something that really resonated with the family office executive who told me this was a, a story that he could easily communicate to the family for a portion of their portfolio. Um, you know, and it was, I think for, for him, you know, I saw his eyes open up when I was talking about this because in speaking with the, the families who, the family who they themselves exhibit those, those key characteristics, those, that founders mentality, it was something that he knew um, they would connect with and, um, that they would want to be a part of. What's, uh, what's fascinating about this story is that it's entirely relatable. You talked about founder-led companies. We see it uh, daily in our world. I mean, it's tremendous. We have a philosophy at Pangeo that, um, uh, and it's, it's a curious way to look at it, but uh, it just it feels differently to us, and we have the, the data to support it, that um, when there's closer family involvement, there seems to be a positive correlation between the closer the family is involved with running the business and the 
the um, the outcome and the rate of return. So, what you're saying there, the data supports that that uh, thinking. And uh, I'm encouraged to hear that you have a solution and the resources with some of these incredible uh, uh, asset managers and portfolio managers on your team that have a demonstrated track record to understand deeply what these families are looking for. But not only understand it, you've had the um, you've had the evidence to prove that you actually are delivering results from the thesis. Thank you for sharing that, Alex. Uh, you know, in page 11 of the Fidelity study, the 2021 study that we've been referencing in this uh, conversation, uh, what your team at Fidelity found is that the focus on private equity and co-investing for large, sophisticated offices, family offices, is not a new development. Uh, and such offices tend to spend the least amount of time on the liquid side of the portfolio and get their exposure in a simple, cost-effective, tax-efficient way. And it appears that uh, what you've just articulated uh, dovetails quite nicely into what your findings are, are saying. So evidently from what you're learning through the study, you're building and creating solutions that fit quite nicely to service the family office uh, clients and, and professionals who serve uh, families who have family offices. You know, and as we keep talking about family, you've already mentioned a number of times this term rising generation and next generation. As we shift gears toward the, the next generation in our conversation, I wanted to learn from you about how Fidelity is mindfully approaching the intergenerational difference in attitudes towards money and wealth within family offices. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think we touched a little bit on how we're trying to remain, you know, in terms of how we conduct business, how we're trying to remain as flexible as possible to different approaches of the generations including how we interact with our family offices, mm -hmm. what solutions we offer. Um, we're certainly cognizant of the fact that the bulk of the wealth is still in the hands of the baby boomer generation, but that over the next couple of decades, we're going to see the largest intergenerational wealth transfer the world has ever seen. And, and as such, we're very mindful of the concerns and interest of the next generation, the rising generation. You know, whether it's how do they want to interact with us uh, digital, digitally, um, what are their investment priorities as well? How do they think about investing? Um, you know, the, the, the generation tends to actually be fairly risk averse, believe it or not, but also at the same time, very interested in certain topics like ESG and climate, um, interested in, in innovation, things like the metaverse and cryptocurrencies as well. So we try to be at the forefront of those trends. But I would also say that more broadly speaking, um, I think it's a really interesting question. And so I, you know, I, I actually pulled up a report that was pr produced by our Fidelity Center for Family Engagement in the U.S. It's a topic that we kind of had thoroughly explored. Um, and, and, I, and I think we have some interesting insights to share with family offices who are trying to create harmony in their fam families through the generations. And I think that's one of the ways that we can help out. Um, is to try to facilitate that intergenerational, uh, those intergenerational relationships. Um, you know, the life, the life cycle is typically money, wealth, estate planning. That's kind of the developmental arena through which all of life passes. And families sometimes experience negative outcomes or future outcomes they didn't realize were brewing. Um, that could be surprises, it could be resentment or anger, strained relationships or even severed communication and relationships throughout the generations. And I think there are several leading indicators 
that um, you know, our Fidelity Center for Family Engagement had identified as a tool for assessing and reflecting on whether their current approach to navigating money, wealth, and estate planning um, discussions would foster uh, endure, enduring family harmony through the generations. And some of those indicators are dialogue, whether they create a shared meaning, a story, uh, creating a shared understanding, uh, collective, so creating shared identity, uh, life events, embracing uh, transitions, uh, and family alignment, so creating shared purpose. So from birth to death, questions and decisions around finances are always there, they're ever present, incremental, and I would argue increasingly complex throughout time. In the early stages, families talk about money. Uh, what is it? How do I get it? What does it do for me? Later, the conversations move towards wealth. Are we wealthy? What does it mean to be wealthy? Whose wealth is it? And then estate planning. Um, you know, whose wealth is it again? Uh, where is the wealth going? Um, who decides? And I think every life event provides an opportunity to learn and grow together. And the developmental goal is to move beyond the parent-child hierarchies to become peers through essentially a lifetime of open communication. So, uh, you know, that's something in reading that, um, that study that really resonated with me on, you know, how we can, we can assist family offices in maintaining harmony through the, the generations and how important it is for family offices to focus on fostering that, uh, that environment um, with their families. I hear the message loud and clear some time ago, and I've been in this space for uh, decades now, and um, I interviewed a fellow by the name of Franco Lombardo. He's a dear friend of mine, and uh, he's got over 25 years of experience uh, working with the psychology of money in uh, families. He wrote a book called The Great white elephant why rich kids hate their parents i did an interview with him it's actually recorded and uh everything that you're talking about now uh, it connects so closely with the experiences and challenges that ha families have even when they're having discussions about who will take over the family business with the presumption that the children will be the the heirs and will want to carry on the legacy through the business and in some cases, it's a really big surprise when one of the children wants to just go off to art school or travel and just not have anything to do with the family business. And um, there's a ton of wonderful resources, and I'm glad to hear that Fidelity is creating them and, and has them under the banner and is doing the research to help families in the family office space navigate those complex, difficult conversations to a soft landing. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Page uh, 13 of your uh, 2021 uh, Fidelity Family Office Investment Study uh, says this. It says, in our experience, and you talked about cryptocurrencies earlier, so this is uh, a lovely segue here. In our experience with family offices, the study says, we are seeing an excited yet cautious approach to learning more about cryptocurrency. And we feel that caution is warranted, but the institutionalization of the asset class is just beginning. The biggest drivers to learning more about the space include potential diversification benefits, deepening understanding of digital assets and blockchain, and the possibility of higher returns. Earlier in our conversation, Alex, you talked about Abigail's um, decision to dedicate resources and uh, members of the team to finding ways to include cryptocurrencies in 
uh, retail products and retail solutions. I wondered if um, that thought has translated into the high net worth, ultra high net worth space with cryptocurrencies, and if it's uh, if it's anything you can share. Once again, I appreciate the sensitivity of the competitive advantage of work that Fidelity is doing, and I wouldn't ever want you to compromise that. But if there's anything you can share that you're working on on the ultra high net worth space or high net worth space with cryptocurrencies at Fidelity, we'd love to learn from you. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, you know, to, and this probably is evident from the study, is that although um, family offices are very interested in learning more about cryptocurrencies and interested in making allocations uh, to their, uh, you know, in, in their portfolios to cryptocurrencies, they're still very hesitant uh, to do so. And I think the volatility that we've seen, certainly in, uh, in, in Bitcoin, investing and, and that we're experiencing right now with the pullback in, in crypto crypto assets um, ha has certainly left folks trigger shy on, on making allocations uh, to, to the, the space. And I think so far there have not been a lot of investment vehicles to facilitate investing in cryptocurrencies in an easy way. Uh, it's always been very complicated buying coins off of exchanges and so on. And, and that is changing over time. And, you know, certainly in, in, in you know, Fidelity Canada is also trying to be at the forefront of this democratization of uh, access to cryptocurrencies in, in, in Canada and uh, just make it more accessible, um, you know, to investors here, uh, including investors in the ultra high net worth segment. Um, right now, uh, what, what you're seeing uh, typically, and uh, this is, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but in my conversations with family offices, those that have made allocations or that are contemplating making allocations to digital assets have simply done, done so through uh, initial exposures to things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. So they haven't uh, invested in, in, in you know, overly creative vehicles uh, in the cryptocurrency space, although there's going to be a lot of innovation, I think, in these investment vehicles. Um, what one thing that we've tried to do in Canada is that through our, our partners at Fidelity Clearing Canada, who uh, does our, they, they do our clearing and custody services, uh, including for many single and multifamily offices across the country where they custody and clear the assets for them. They actually worked for three years with the regulators and uh, last year, became the first uh, regulated custodian of cryptocurrencies in Canada, uh, re regulated by IROC and the OSC. And, uh, and so that was a huge, uh, you know, that was, that was really paving the way um, to, to have a regulated uh, environment in which to invest in these assets. And uh, as a result, that allowed us to launch an, an ETF, a physically settled spot Bitcoin ETF that is um, fully regulated, A, and also end-to-end, uh, -end, completely in-house, where we don't outsource the storage of those cryptocurrencies. We use Fidelity Digital Assets in the U.S. as our subcustodian, who have been involved in uh, cold storage of cryptocurrencies dating back to 2016, I believe. Um, you know, Abigail Johnson was, was definitely an early, uh, had early interest in cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, and, and so we're, we're trying to make them more accessible um, for investors in the, in the high net worth uh, space as well. Um, you know, and so that's, that's sort of the first part of my answer. I think the second part would be stay tuned because I'm sure that there's going to be uh, evolution in this area, different ways to 
invest in digital assets. Um, and in fact, in, in Canada, Fidelity recently launched a total metaverse uh, ETF as well, um, uh, you know, which, uh, which follows the launch of a similar product in the US. Indeed, we certainly will keep uh, in touch and invite you back at a later date to share more. You know, you asked about my uh, opinion uh, on the cryptocurrency, just to, to give a, a bit of contribution. Today alone, today alone I've had three conversations about cryptocurrencies uh, and folks inviting us to uh, participate in cryptocurrency pools. and. Um, there's uh, an, another folk, another another group out of um, uh, they the based the entity out of Delaware, but they're in the Midwest uh, in the U.S. and uh, they are they're looking for approval uh, to become uh, one of the first banks to officially uh, hold uh, and transact in cryptocurrency. So there's a ton of interesting things that are going on, but I'd like to offer a perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I learned some time ago to not give advice, but uh, I just give perspectives now. Um, when we when we sit around our leadership table, when we talk about cryptocurrency. Uh, we ask ourselves the question, is the current state of cryptocurrency, does it align with our investment values? If we think about things like preservation of capital, if we think about things uh, like intergenerational continuity, uh, is the current stage of cryptocurrency, does it align? And you know, folks have their own responses on that. And then we ask questions like, well, it doesn't mean that there's not opportunity here. And we dig deeper. We always look for opportunity because at Pangeo, we maintain an opportunistic posture where we see that there's, you know, there's something to be had here in terms of a value exchange. So one of the things that I started thinking about uh, with our team is I looked back uh, at the gold rush when folks actually went mining, you know, picks and shovels in the ground to pull the gold out of the mines. You know, one of the fascinating things that emerged from my reading is that some of the folks who became very wealthy weren't the folks that were actually in the water panning for gold, but the folks who set up the ancillary services around the mining colonies. And so with that philosophy, that perspective, I started to ask questions like, well, maybe we don't go fully into cryptocurrency. Not that we don't participate. We do have holdings in, in various cryptocurrencies, but not in enormous uh, positions. We started looking at, well, what are the ancillary services around Bitcoin? And one of the things that we have been directly involved in is Bitcoin mining, uh, carbon neutral Bitcoin mining. Uh, and so that, that was an approach that we started to um, to involve ourselves with and and I hope that story resonates with you because you could see the the thinking the deeper thinking than just rushing for the gold we were looking for how do we preserve capital how do we invest or participate in ways that align with our values and that's one of the things we did uh, with regards to cryptocurrencies and we're always learning daily like I said just three conversations alone today on it and um, one of our associates in Florida we have uh, um, a team out in Florida and uh, you know the the cryptocurrency um, uh, event was out there in Florida in Miami and he attended and my gosh there's an avalanche of conversation going on around cryptocurrencies and it takes a lot of uh, prudence to really be able to navigate to a safe spot because it turns out that everyone who's involved in cryptocurrency has a relationship with a, a, a you know, family, uh, part of the royal family out of Dubai. And 
you get to hear consistent conversation and so I'm so glad that Fidelity is there and even uh, you, your team is there to provide guidance because you have on-the-ground research and you can help families really filter through all the noise, as it were, to get to solutions that matter. And that's what we do at Pangea as well. And I'm glad that we're, we're sharing that value. Alex, as we look to uh, wrap up the call, uh, I want to express how deeply grateful I am to you and for you sharing your expertise with us. But before we wrap up, I always ask this question. Um, what is it that you love most about your current role at Fidelity, Alex? Um, that's a good, good question, Declan. I, you know, I, I've been at Fidelity for you know, 16 years. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the industry for 20, uh, both have evolved so much in the last two decades. And it's, I, I would say, been really enjoyable to witness and be a part of. Uh, in my previous role, I was working with investment advisors in downtown Toronto and have some amazing relationships, long-lasting relationships there. Uh, I definitely consider myself more of a people person, and what I'm what, I, what I'm really enjoying in this role is that I'm able to continue to build great relationships with family office executives and family members this time, but also I would say get involved in some big of the big picture thinking on how we can evolve to build the best possible service model. Uh, bring out relevant and innovative solutions to address the diverse needs of the ultra high net worth segment and really make life easier for family offices. So, you know, to be able to be part of the change, uh, part of the evolution that's happening in the organization to focus on an area that I think is under service and that we certainly didn't have a focus on before. Um, that's been really enjoyable. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's been great just to get on the road again and see people face to face. After two years of Zoom meetings from my home, uh, I attended my first conference a couple of weeks ago, the, the Family Office Summit uh, in downtown Toronto. It was just great to feel that energy of having a group of people in the room all together sharing ideas, um, you know, and it, it felt you know, like a step back towards uh, towards normal life. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm just really enjoying that that aspect of it, particularly at this point, just being able to to connect with people face to face again over a meal, over a, over a coffee or at these uh, these different industry events. No, indeed, I, I can definitely relate to connecting on a human level with people face to face. Again, it's just nothing like it to create that energy and that bond and that connection when you're actually hearing someone laugh in person and uh, seeing their eyes light up in conversation i can definitely relate to that alex as we look to close off this call i wanted to uh, tell you that you create tremendous value for not only the members of our team at pangea uh, private family offices but also to the listeners uh, on this particular podcast i think they're going to really enjoy uh, the insights that you've provided and the encouragement and the open invitation is what I would describe it to, uh, to explore further conversation with the team at Fidelity. I'd welcome you back at any time to discuss developments and innovation that's happening at Fidelity. And uh, thank you again for joining us on Pangea Talks. Thank you so much, Declan, for having me. I, I really appreciated our time together. I've appreciated uh, getting to know you. And thank you for um, allowing me this forum to talk about all the exciting things I think that we have uh, in the pipeline. And we're actually launching our website, which is going to house a lot of our family office related content shortly. So that'll be available at fidelity.ca slash family office. 
So hopefully that will be live uh, imminently. But uh, really excited to to connect with you and uh, and and looking forward to continuing to uh, to work together. Indeed, let's celebrate a successful partnership together. Thank you so much, Alex, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Thank you.